Hello, and welcome back to Our Decatur. I have another My Decatur story today, and we will be speaking with Rafaela Prangy, and um, we're just going to dive right in, right? Awesome. So, okay, first question I always ask, native or transplant? Definitely transplants, yes. but I've been here about 21 years, so, so now you're kind native. of tipping the scales <laughs> right. because I've lived in Decatur longer than I lived anywhere else, so I so. do feel like now I have to say I am from Decatur, which I'm very proud yes. to say that, um, but when you talk about where I grew up and yeah. where I came from, I came actually from the South Florida area. Okay, so okay. I feel like I'm the same way, like I've mm -hmm. been here enough that my friends tell me to stop saying you're not from here, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. But you're native by proxy almost. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so start me off. You are born in? I was born in Chicago, actually. Actually, in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Okay. Um, because my father is an immigrant to the United States and immigrated to Chicago. Um, and then my parents met there. And um, I spent my young childhood until I was about five years old in that area. Okay. So I don't have a lot of memories of that time because I was so young. Right. Um, but then quickly, um, once I was five or six, we moved to Florida. And then I spent the rest of my time growing up in the Boca Raton, Florida area, which is okay. near Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So th were they sick of winters? <laughs> like, no. Uh, done with snow or just opportunity? I think, rose in sunshiny Florida. I think, honestly, <laughs> my dad was always an entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. he came to this country and got his cosmetology license, became a hairdresser. That's how he met my mother. My mother was on a modeling shoot and oh, he did her hair. Cool. Um, and I think he really felt like he wanted to go somewhere where it was more diverse than where he was living. Sure. Even though yeah. you think about the Chicago, Illinois area being diverse, I think back in the 1970s, late oh, 60s yeah. and 70s, when he immigrated to this country, um, it was not... I don't think a positive thing to be sure. someone yep. that was Latinx at that time in that community. And so he's looking to go somewhere where, where he felt there okay. were more individuals that identify with his culture and maybe to help bring his kids up in that culture and in that type of environment. Gotcha. And the warm weather didn't hurt. Yeah, right. Yeah. Either. I think that, <laughs> yeah. that sold my mom on it. Right sure. Away. Right. Yeah. No more <laughs> Illinois winters. We can mm -hmm. all relate to that. Okay, so you're in Florida, You all school, the rest of your childhood is in Florida. Absolutely. You go to college where? I went to college at DePaul University, DePaul with a W, not an L. You know, the winning, not the losing <laughs> institution, that's oh, what man. I always say. Um, small private institution in Greencastle, Indiana. So not, the, not back to Illinois, but no, close. Close, close. Okay. And my... Um, mother's family remained in the Chicago area, so I still had ties to that. And, okay. Um, because I'm the oldest of five girls. Yes, I knew I this. I was That's... the home babysitter for the entire time I grew up. Oh, and so okay. I was really ready to spread my wings and fly. I bet. Yeah. Right around college time. And so I think, like many rebellious teenagers, um, I wanted to get as far away from my family right. as possible. Yes. Um, you have a lot of perspective 25, 30 years later about yes. that decision. Sure, um, yeah. But I also had a lifelong dream to be Diane Sawyer. And I don't know if some of our young listeners know who Diane Sawyer is. <laughs> Google it. Right, but kind of like Hoda, you know, now, yeah, you, you know, kind of yeah. very famous female journalist. And so when I did my college tour, my junior year of high school, okay. I looked at all of the colleges in the U.S. that had strong journalism programs. And so I actually visited Mizzou, yeah. I visited Ithaca, Syracuse, Boston U, um, and a small little school called DePauw. Well, and DePauw had the strongest journalism program, broadcast journalism, in the country for a small school. Uh -huh. And I had grown up in small high school, grade school environments, and so yeah. I just felt more connected to that small school environment, yeah, which feel. so many years later makes sense why I'm at Milliken. There you go, right? Uh, yeah. But went to DePauw about 2,000 miles away from home at the age of 16 
because I graduated high school at 16. Well, that's very interesting. So I was very young, very Well, you naive. were the oldest, so mm -hmm. you were also that firstborn child that was very driven, probably very... And my dad being an immigrant, education was always paramount. Right. Sure. Spent a lot of time on school and studies. Yeah. Skipped a couple of grades and ended up being 16 when I graduated. So Holy manolis. Yep. And if you know you know my daughter, Suzanne, you yeah. see lots of pictures of her. She's a tiny little thing. That's about how, the size I was when I went to college. Oh, I was real goodness. small, tiny. So I look back and think, oh my gosh, how did my parents you know, handle the anxiety of yeah, letting right. this little 16-year-old girl go 2,000 miles away? With a bunch of 18, 20-year-olds. Right. But right. were you nervous or were you naive enough to be like, I'm going to be cool. I'm I awesome. definitely think right. I was just ready. And I was like, I can do this. Yeah, you know, yeah It's going to yeah. be great. Um, and I did have a wonderful college experience. So that, that all worked out. That naivety mm -hmm. and innocence is probably why what leads us to do so many risky things sometimes. Absolutely. And I think that early choice to go far away has built confidence in me, too, mm -hmm. over time sure. to make difficult choices and do things that may be outside the box. Yeah. Um, because I didn't say stay close to home and kind of continue in the right. same vein I had right. growing up. So then you would graduate college when you were what? 20. So you weren't even legal <laughs> drinking age yet. I, I wasn't. <laughs> We'll just How's that, that senior but, party? Right. Um, I wasn't 21 until I was in graduate school. So I remember my first year of graduate school. I went to Indiana State in Terre Haute, not too far down the road yeah. from here. I kept going west without really intention to do that. You know, I always thought I'd get back to the south, mm -hmm. and I just kept going west. Um, so at Indiana State, I remember my first year of graduate school, my graduate cohort threw me this huge party when I turned 21, because obviously it was like this really right thing, because everyone else was like 22, 23. Right. They had already done the bar scene. They had already yeah. you know, done all that. and. So, like, come here, little baby yeah. chicken. Let's show you everything, <laughs> right? Yeah, so that was a fun memory from graduate school. That is mm -hmm. funny. Wow, I don't think I ever knew that about mm -hmm. you. We'll get to how our lives have intersected in yep. different ways. I'm very interesting. But, um, okay, so now you're in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And then... So I went to graduate school for higher education administration. So I was a highly involved college student. So how, where did that switch come from? Journalism right. to so, that. Did journalism my first couple years, liked it, great, strong program at DePauw, did an internship in Chicago, lived with my grandparents over a summer okay. after my junior year with a CBS affiliate, and I hated it. Yeah. What was it about that you hated? Well, I think, you know, watching these female journalists that were highly successful as a child, you know, they were telling these wonderful positive stories of people, these narratives, yeah. like, you know, showing others about difference and yeah. giving them understanding of the world kind of this lens into the world right sure. um when you start off in that industry that's not what you start off doing you know you start off chasing ambulances Click and bait. doing all of those things that are a little bit yeah. more taxing emotionally on you and pretty negative the sensationalized mm -hmm. and i just really did not want to feed into that negative news environment yeah um, and so i had enough credits to kind of cobble together an education minor at DePauw. So I started kind of working through this education minor, really started to really get interested in that. I was already really involved on campus, you know, mm -hmm. things from like orientation leader, sorority member, you know, yeah. officer in my that sorority, all of me. those things. Right. Um, and so I thought, this is something maybe I could like continue doing. But what's funny about higher education administration, as a college student, you never know what that career path is. Like you don't know no, how someone yeah. gets to be a dean of students or how someone gets to be a faculty member. Yeah. Um, because it isn't really a very transparent industry from that perspective. You yeah. don't go to college necessarily wanting to do that. You I don't think you ever hear a six-year-old saying, I'm going to be, be yeah, right. right? <laughs> I be, you know, Maybe your six-year-olds, but right? no, yeah. Um, 
so I kind of pivoted and changed that broadcast major to a just interpersonal communication major. Okay. So I kind of stopped doing that broadcast part of the curriculum, added that ed minor, had a couple other minors, art and French, and kind of decided I would try my hand at working at a university level. Did you so. think that you would be a teacher? No. Originally, what I did is I actually um, applied to be a traveling consultant for my sorority. Oh, okay. And all the way to the final phase okay. of that process. Like, went to the headquarters in yeah. Ohio, you know, and thought, I'm not sure I want to travel out of a suitcase for a year and yeah. do all that. And again, I was 20. So I right. would have been trying to work in, through disciplinary issues with sorority members who were 21, 22, right. 23 years old, and <laughs> 20. So that, I, mean, I think the national organization was oh, like, we're not sure if that's going to work either. Right, yeah. Um, and so then I had some mentors on my campus who were in positions of authority for higher ed and said, why don't you try a graduate program? And so I gotcha. quickly applied to some graduate programs, got in at Indiana State. It was like an hour and a half down the road. And Easy. I said, and okay, look, I'm going to yeah. do that. So when I'm working with students at Millican who have undecided majors or are pivoting in their you know, career right. path, and they feel really nervous and anxious about that, I always try to share my personal story because I think you know the statistics right now is it's about, you know, 70% of college students change their yeah. major at least once. I remember hearing mm -hmm. that going into college. Like, yeah. don't get too set on it. Yeah. You're going to change it. But it makes folks really anxious it when, does. you know, yeah. they've had this kind of thought yes. process for a very long time where their parents have, or there's these expectations. Yes. Yep. Um, and they change. But you want to yep. end up with something you're passionate about because we all know that work is a heck of a lot easier yes. with something that aligns with your personal values and that you feel really passionate about doing on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. You want to do it, not yeah. have to do it. So I ended up in Indiana State, um, did my two-year program. My second year of graduate school, I worked full-time. I went to school, and I worked at Rose Holman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana. It's like the MIT of the Midwest. Okay. Engineering school, all men. I was there the second year they had gone co-ed. I like, started their Panhellenic Council and all of their student organizations that had women oh, involved in it. So it was a really unique experience. Yeah. And looking back on it, I think it really framed a lot of kind of where I am now And this is career. what year? They had just gone co-ed. Well, they had gone, I think, co-ed like 90 six or seven and I started working there in 98. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and that seems so crazy to but think about. The field but of engineering has always yes. been very male driven and we talk right. about STEM and all of oh, that yeah. is kind of blowing up right now. Yep. I think that's a kind of coming out of that. Right. Wanting yeah. women to see more access in those fields. Again not careers that you really are pushed toward as a child so then when you get up to college level you're right. like I didn't even know that was an option. Or So I lived on that campus as kind of a residence hall person and I lived in all men's residence hall, and that was a whole nother experience. I, I bet, tell yeah. You. But very, very smart students, um, really awesome young men to yeah. be around. And then I did a national job search that landed me at Millican of all places. There you go, big blue. Yeah. So I came on campus, and I felt the same way I felt about DePaul when I walked on Millican's campus. And yeah. I said, this small private institution is really kind of my wheelhouse. It feels like home. It does. Yeah. And, you know, I had been at Indiana State, which was kind of my other experience in higher ed, and it's a mid-sized state institution. I just didn't want the feel of that for me. Yeah. You know, I think Indiana State's a great institution, um, but that's not the type of institution yeah. I probably want to be working at um, in my career. So I decided on Millican. Came in as Assistant Director of Student Activities. Yep. In 1999. So what's interesting is the students that are now coming into Millican as first-year students were, were not born. even born. They were not born. Oh, man. When I started working at Millican, <laughs> which makes me feel very, very old. But they also keep me very, very young. So it's a yes, very right. interesting dichotomy. Yes. Um, 
but in 1999 I started and it's been like kind of just bliss ever since quite honestly I love it I yeah love Millican. I love Decatur um, so many things I think are working for us um, uh-huh. and I think that you know we say we're Decatur's institution Decatur's university and yeah I really try to work towards that and connecting the community to Decatur and vice versa sometimes there you know the I remember when I first so this is where our paths intersect mm-hmm. so in 2001 I come to Millican and 2000 I'm you know touring campuses and stuff and there was this um that was when the MacArthur Eisenhower fight had happened 2001 mm-hmm. right um the football the Chelsea big Jackson, Je- yeah. Rainbow Coalition. that yeah. whole thing mm-hmm. so I remember touring Millican and people saying well it's a bubble you don't really know oh, the community the right the Milla bubble mm-hmm. you just stay in here and you're away from the rest of the community right as Which we do not say anymore, and let me make that plainly clear. I it, this was 2000. <laughs> it was 2000. I'm just providing yeah. this perspective <laughs> in the context. So um, as a young student, I didn't see the problem with that. Now, again, mm-hmm. perspective and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. reflection is key. Um, but I thought that that was interesting that what you're sitting in the middle of town, though. How do you even do that, right? I come to Milliken. And then I joined student activities, and guess who's in charge? Yep, here we go. <laughs> and, I meet with... and at the time, you're Palmer. I am Palmer. Okay, so. And you are Martin. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Kathy Martin and Rafaela Palmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's hard, tough judge, but she's firm. I think they firm. used to call me the fun police was one of my nicknames. Maybe. I do remember as adults, I'll have to tell you this story. We, you know, we have kids the same age, so we're at a mm-hmm. function, a social function, and a friend of ours comes out and says, Matt, Ralph wants to talk to you. And his eyes were like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> it was just that flashback mm-hmm. moment where we're like, ah! <laughs> um, anyway, so. But then, the early part of my career, yes. to kind of augment that, I was really doing a lot of like student conduct and yes. risk management kind of pieces with student groups. And, and so, Greek life especially. Yeah, I was the Greek advisor for about six years, yeah. so mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming down on us hard, making sure we were in our place. Which is how I met my husband, which we can talk okay. about in a minute. Yeah, yeah, so let's get to that. Okay. So, okay, so your student affairs, then you get pr- promoted. I Is it a promotion or lateral? I kind of just moved my way up lateral. all the way from, yeah. you know, kind of that most entry-level position in student affairs all the way to the, mm-hmm. you know, that end Started position. in the mailroom, and now you have an office window, and Which it's beautiful. Which I think has provided me with so many great learning experiences. Yeah. Um, and I would never do it any other way. You know, I know, know so many folks in my industry who do, you know, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, and then go out into the workforce. Right. And they don't get experience, and they expect then to become an assistant dean or a dean right out of that sure. doctoral program. And you're just missing all of that amazing experience on the ground. I mean, you have got to be yeah. in the trenches. And that's one of the pieces about Millican, a small institution that I love. Even as the vice president of student affairs, I still with, meet with students on a daily basis. Yeah, you well, you have to. Right, There's, and I still understand yeah. what the core issues are. And I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, relying on hearsay or right. just reading, you know, journal articles and other research. Right. You know, I really know what's going on on my campus. And I really appreciate that. And I think that helps me make me be a better supervisor to all of those folks that I work with, too, because yeah. I know what they're doing and I know how hard it is. And I've been there before. I've literally done every right. position yeah. at the institution that I now supervise. Right. Um, so I always say they can't hang anything over me. But also, I think go, it right. provides yeah. like, a sense of empathy. I can say, you know, I understand this yeah. is really difficult or this is challenging. Um, That's one of the reasons I chose Milliken, because when we toured, I remember somebody saying, you won't have a TA teacher class. Right. You will always have a professor. And that was appealing to me. I didn't want to just 
be a number or be a name. I wanted to be a person, you know, so that was important. That's a really good strength that Milton has. Yeah. 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 So I was that Greek advisor and like all fraternity and sorority life systems, we had some challenges, you know, back in the early thousands. Oh, yeah. Um, w- the national Greek organizations were trying to make a lot of changes at that time. It's an ever-evolving. Like alcohol, yes. drug abuse. Um, and so campuses were now kind of trying to help educate and provide prevention activities. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, kind of crack down a little bit on some of these risky behaviors. And yeah. so we had a fraternity at the time that was really, really struggling with some of that. Um, especially as that pertains to fire safety. And, yeah. You know, we have some fraternity sorority houses on our campus. They are kind of self-governed. Right. Um, and and so we're a very small Greek life comparatively. We are. We are yeah. But we still have a nice, like, 30% chunk Does. of our students that right. are, identify as affiliated. So um, one of these chapters was just really struggling with how, like, maintain that house appropriately. And lo and behold, the alumni advisor of that chapter was Rob Prangy. Oh. And so, you know, I would have these advisor roundtables and talk with all these advisors. Yeah. Like, here I am, like, I was probably 22, 23 years right. old. So all these alumni advisors, like, way older than me. And, and they also probably assume that you're older, too, maybe. right? Right, probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I had a really short haircut. I used to wear teacher dresses, a really bad style <laughs> um, moments in my life. But I was trying to, like, kind of project right. like, this yes. older personality, right. obviously, because I'm working with students that yeah. Than, you know, in some cases, too. Yeah. Um, so we had these advisor roundtables. We're all talking. And I had to have some one-on-ones with Rob because we had so many challenges with this organization at that time um, and lots of frustration. So in the beginning, we kind of were not on the same page. You know, huh. he looked at me very adversarily because, right. you know, he's trying to help these young men in a fraternity that he was in when he was right, in college. Right. Trying to continue that experience for them, which I appreciate. But at the end of the day, safety of our students yes. is our number one priority. Um, so one fateful night back, I think, in 2003, um, the fire alarm was shut off at that fraternity house. And so I called up my, you know, bud oh, alumni man. advisor, Rob Prangy, and said, hey, I just really need your help because I think they're just not educated on how to do this. Like, yeah. they really need some help. And he was frustrated, too. And so we kind of bonded over that frustration and right? decided that we were going to work together to try to keep them. You were no longer enemies. Yes, to keep them safe and help them, you know, move forward. And to this day, that chapter is still viable and active on this campus. And so, there you, go. you know, I really see the, our ability to work together as kind of a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of the rest is history, too. Can so. I say that sparks flew? It's a very... <laughs> Fire, no, punny no, thing. We don't, no, no, we don't want to say that because we never want to see fire. In our no sparks facilities. flew. No. They were distinguishing sparks. Yes, we were extinguishing all of that. <laughs> um, but it was a great time to be able to connect with someone who had similar passions about, you know, student experience. Yeah. We bonded on that and had a really short relationship. Actually, a lot of people don't know this. We dated for four months and got engaged. Yeah, wow. Real quick. Yeah. Yep. Was he a teacher at the time? Had he moved into administration yet? He had just moved from Meridian Schools where he had taught um, science and coached baseball and football. And he was just starting his career as an assistant principal at Johns Hill okay. when I met him. So, so he was actually starting. a split appointment between Johns Hill and Washington School, which is now demolished, yeah. you know. Um, okay. And Joe Smith, of those of you that know him from the community, he's a retired principal, but that was his mentor at the time. We still keep in touch with Joe. There have been so many great administrators that have touched Rob's life and, you know, my life, and we've been able to stay in contact yeah. with through DPS. Um, so he was at Johns Hill, where he still is today. Yeah. Um, I'm still at Milliken. So in that situation not much has changed you put down those roots we did hard 16 years later so there we just you go. celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary in may so 
That's yeah. a beautiful story. So have yeah. you ever felt a uh, pull back towards sunny Florida? You know, momentarily, I think, you know, we all have up, ups and downs in our career. And I think right before, like right around the time we got married, we were engaged. I just felt kind of like, I'm not sure this is really what I want to be doing. Yeah, you sure. know, I had, I think I was getting really burned out of doing the Greek life component of I my I can't job. imagine why. Um, and so I kind of want to move on to some other things. And luckily what happened is I did apply for a couple jobs, but then an opportunity opened up Millican that I could move laterally. And I moved then into residence life at that point here at okay. Millican. I think I was gone by then. It was 2005. That was uh -huh. the year I graduated. So there you go. So I yep. moved over to residence life and got a whole new set of experiences in that residential facilities component, which has been indispensable in my ability to move yeah. up right. as a dean and a VP because you have to understand that facilities and, yep. you know, housing background at a residential institution. Yeah. Um, so I kind of lost that itch to move. And um, now Rob and I just enjoy going with the kids to Florida on vacations. We are huge Disney World fanatics yes. and um, love the Florida Keys and things like that. And since I've been in college and grad school moved on in life, my whole family has dispersed from Florida. So I no longer have any family oh, down okay. there. So it's really not kind of home for me at all. Right. So when I you know, talked about I've really lived here longer than I've ever lived anywhere else, I really yeah. do consider to cater my home at this point. Yeah, this yeah. is where your family mm -hmm. is, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Rob is from? Alton, Illinois area, Wood River. Not far. Not far, okay. yep. And went to Millican's, the Millican alum. Okay. His sister, Millican alum. Yep. All the connections. Yep. Lots of Millican Make it home. Well, that's yep. a great, what led you here to where you are mm -hmm. today. And your current title at Millican is? Vice President for Student Affairs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So she moved all the way up to like the corner office here. The and, beautiful new commons. It, this is gorgeous. And that took, you know, 21 years. So this is my 21st year at Millican. That's a really great thing to remind people to. It is. And when I talk to young professionals who are just feeling, you know, stuck after yeah. two years. Right. I say right. it has taken me two decades. Yeah. To get to the kind of pinnacle of my I remember career. being that as a young graduate, like mm -hmm. thinking, Oh my God, I'm never When's gonna, gonna make it. Me, yes, right. right. Yeah. yeah. I'm never gonna make it. And it's just funny how life shifts you in mm -hmm. different ways. And like I said, every experience I've had, every job I've had at Millick has prepared me for this one. Yeah. So if I would have made any you know, skipped any steps, I wouldn't be as strong of a professional as I am now. Yeah. 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 That's great. Okay, so the next thing that I kind of like to ask is this, I don't even, I need to do some research of when this slogan was, live, work, play at Decatur. Mm -hmm. That used to be like, maybe the Chamber of Commerce did that or something. Or was it like City Limitless or something? Yeah, mm -hmm. so, okay, so your favorite thing about living in Decatur? I would definitely say the diversity of the city mm -hmm. and also the parks um, and rec Yeah, we do have great parks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I love the fact that my children and I get to live in an area where I can meet people from all different walks of life, mm -hmm. all levels of opportunity, yeah. all cultural backgrounds. Um, yeah. To me, that is the most important thing in raising children. Yeah. Um, I would not live in a homogeneous community. Yeah. Um, we've really made that statement too. Matt and mm -hmm. I both came from those areas. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked about that. Like we really want our kids to have difference. Well, you know, I'm coming from the South Florida area, which is really, really diverse. Yeah. Um, and so when I came to Indiana for college, I was like, <laughs> I'm a sure. huge culture shock. Yeah, I bet. And, um, I did not want to be kind of back in that type of environment. Yeah. 
Um, so I love that about Decatur. And then my children have benefited, I mean, so many times from the Parks District and from all the recreational opportunities. And yeah. I appreciate them, too. And I think we just have a beautiful city. I mean, we do. We just have so many places you can go and reflect and meditate and, you know, have solitude if you want. But also these awesome just entertainment type yeah. opportunities, too. So I didn't appreciate that until quarantine, mm-hmm. where it was like I have several friends that live in apartments in big cities. And they're just like, yeah, no I just to need yeah. A yard, or I just need, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how many people know this about you. You're an urban farmer. I am. They have a beautiful little backyard <laughs> countryside. I don't know. What yeah. started that? So, Rob, my husband, has always been um, kind of a fan of like this idea of like farm to table and like uh-huh. growing your own food and knowing where it comes from. And I definitely support that too, but I wouldn't say I'm as much of an outdoor person. Yeah. He's an outdoor person. Like he's a hunter and a fisher and all yeah. those things. And, you know, I love the beach. There's a little big difference. For sure. You yes. Know? <laughs> yes. Recreational um, <laughs> outdoors actually being right. all the time outdoors. Um, so yeah. he grew up with a lot of like gardens as a kid. His dad was always planting things. And so he wanted to do that when we got married. And in fact, we had a very small garden. We lived in um, South Shores when we first got married. Then okay. To the West End a few years later um, and just had a couple raised gardens to begin with and then moved to this bigger house bigger property here on the West End and had more space and he's like a big maximizer on space so he likes I to mean, you have fill. really done mm-hmm. the best job at so that. and it keeps growing so <laughs> you probably know that I've helped with dentist school for a long time yeah. because of our connection with the Millican Dentist partnership and there's a cooperative garden on the corner of Wooden Fairview that is Millican land but the right. school has put a lot of the infrastructure in and so especially during quarantine our family so Rob and Suzanne and Robert and I have been tending that and keeping it up so that yeah. when school starts up again God willing um, <laughs> yeah. that it'll be ready for the kids to come back and kind of see that whole thing instead of it just being kind of left to so now you've spread time. across. So we spread, and then Rob also rented six garden plots from the park district out at Garmin <laughs> Park off of Riverview. Is this a thing? People a thing. can do this? You can. Yeah. You Rent can. some garden plots if you yeah. don't have a garden. So he has a pumpkin and melon patch out there at Garmin Park because we can't fit pumpkins and melons they in our spread, yard really. they spread like dramatically. Yes. So he has all that out there. So in any oh, given day, funny. we're in one of our three gardens. So yes. <laughs> Across the so city. I appreciated that during quarantine, actually, because it's given us something to do. Yeah. And the kids, you know, are active doing it. And there's just something about, uh, really, about putting your hands in the soil. It's there kind is. of really therapeutic and cathartic. Grounding, um, right? Isn't that what they call yeah. it? That mm-hmm. therapy. Yep. And we have tons of food to be able to eat, and we know where it came from. And yes. we have chickens, too. Chickens. Yep. And had turkeys chickens. at one time. We had a couple turkeys. Thanksgiving no turkeys. turkeys. Um, we did raise some meat chickens. No longer have meat chickens. Um, and we have a rabbit, but the rabbit's a pet. So... <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes, that's that's great. Well, that's a new thing for this podcast that you can rent a garden plot. Yep, you don't from have... the Decatur Park District at Garmin Park off Riverview, and there's still availability. And I think oh, it's like go. ten bucks a garden plot. I'm serious. It's super cheap. That is. I mean, for it's a like a great opportunity again for the city to say like if you don't have right. space and you want to do this. Well, I have a couple encourage... friends that have apartments or yeah. condos or whatever mm-hmm. that maybe that would be interesting yeah. to them. There you go. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Your favorite thing about working in Decatur, because you've worked here for a long time. And not only work, but you volunteer Mm -hmm. in other organizations, you're on boards of other organizations, so you... So I think it's that accessibility, maybe, is the fact that if you want to be involved, you absolutely can be involved. Yeah. And I 
I personally don't feel that there is this exclusivity component that I see in a lot of other communities yeah. where, you know, if you really are interested, you just need to, you know, call and someone's going to say, we can use you in this capacity. Yep. And I think, you know, when I was doing some research for the school district a few years ago for PLTI, for the yeah. Parent Leadership Training Institute, we found out that this region of Illinois has more nonprofits than uh, surrounding education than any other um, huh. area in Illinois. That's very interesting. Yeah, our area that we're helpers and that we want to, you know, make our communities better. Um, And there's a lot of ability for people to volunteer, which is great. (laughs) Every guest that I've had, we've talked about that. Just getting out there, just go, just make that first Mm -hmm. step. What's your advice to someone who is a transplant, maybe new, to actually going to a social thing or going to a volunteer thing and feeling? I don't know anybody. You know, I think that happens a lot. Yeah, I think not being afraid to reach out um, and making that first or second contact because we are in so many ways a large city but a very small community. Yes, right. Um, and so there's a huge network of people that know each other and can put you in contact with the right person mm-hmm. for whatever your passion or interest would be. Right. Um, so I think it just takes that courage. It's scary to get out there, it is, especially yeah. as a young professional. And especially when you don't immediately see other young professionals because I think that is an issue in this community yeah. is that our young professionals are busy and yeah. doing things that aren't always, you know, don't find themselves in the same places so yeah. it's easy to assume there aren't any young any young professionals here but there are yeah and I know that you know the Chamber of Commerce and you know the EDC are all trying to kind of bring that to yeah. the forefront to show young professionals yeah. that there is a network here it's harder in COVID mm-hmm. too man oh, it's been sure. rough just yeah. but even there's so many uh, online opportunities there to are. get involved Virtual. with people and Yeah, and I would say, you know, I read this book, you know, like seven years ago, and I'm a huge Viola Davis and Shonda Rhimes Mm -hmm. um, fan. Scandal is like my favorite show of all time. Yeah. Um, But Shonda Rhimes wrote this book, Getting to Yes. Yes, I just Uh mentioned this to someone the other day. Yeah. So I read that, you know, I think it was 2016, actually. I think it was right surrounding the election. You know, we're all kind of feeling some things around that time. And I felt stuck at that time. You know, I was in the kind of the same position I'd been in for a few years. I wasn't VP yet. Yeah. Um, I hadn't yet really kind of really gotten into some significant volunteer opportunities outside the school district. I was like, what else can I do? Like, right. I feel like this itch to get more involved. And that book really inspired me because I am not an extrovert as much as people might think I am. Yeah. Definitely an introvert. Like, get my energy from solitude, alone time sure. with my people. Um, so it's sometimes hard for me to go to those networking opportunities. Yeah. Um, but that book really kind of encourages you to, encourages you to say yes. Yeah. To everything. Yeah. Every single thing that comes your way, say yes. And so 2016, 2017, I said yes to every single thing. Did you get burned that out? That came my way. I then said that my next year was my year of no. No, right. Yes. <laughs> um, but Finding those limits, though, is good. I'm still doing some of those things I was doing then. So I do feel like it, it helped me get out there in different ways. That's so good. So my advice is say yes. As yeah. much as we all tell women to say no, right? So there's right. always like really mixed messages. <laughs> Contradicting, right? Like we say, you know, know your le- limits and yeah, make sure yeah, yeah. that you're not always saying yes because you don't want to burn yourself out. But I think there is a balance. Just try for maybe six months. Yeah. I, you Just... know, especially if you're feeling like you need to stretch yourself in different ways. Yeah. And maybe it's saying no to the old and yes to the new, right? right. So maybe it's trying to find a way to, yep. to balance and negotiate that. Yeah. Um, there is there is a lot of... Um, uh, fight that Decatur doesn't have that young scene, right? Yeah. And absolutely. so I think that that's more of like you just haven't found it. Maybe you just mm-hmm. haven't seen yes. But if you hear it's not here, it's not here, it's not here, you also don't go looking for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I think you know, encourage your employer, whoever you're working for, to create opportunities for you too. I think oh, Milliken yeah. does that really well for a lot of our young employees, faculty, and staff that come from other areas. We try to create in our campus, you know, a small group that can right. really go out and do other things as well. So I think maybe encouraging your employer, yeah, to help you with opportunities. That's too. a good, a good mm-hmm. idea. There is, like you said, it is still a small community, so you never know mm-hmm. who you're talking to that yep. might have somebody that mm-hmm. knows that. Blah, 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 blah. It, it is always like that. Right. I find Absolutely. indicator. Absolutely. So and so knows somebody's cousin's brother's uncle. I don't know. Well, and I think now, even though it's quarantine, I think that there are so many more opportunities to use your voice here yeah. in this community, to be active, um, yeah. you know, and be actively anti-racist and yeah. to involve yourself in the conversation about racial injustice and racism. Yeah. I mean, we've seen so much happen here in Decatur that's so positive. And I think the community coming together to really show that this is De- this is Decatur's, you know, pride is its diversity right. yep. and our inclusivity as a community. And so I would encourage young professionals to kind of get out of their comfort zone with that too. Yeah. And get involved in some of those things. Um, you know, write for the Decatur magazine, write for some of yeah. these small publications we have. You know, do a letter to the editor for the Herald and Review. Yeah. You know, go to a justice walk or a justice march, you know. Do all of those just things. Just find someone mm-hmm. too. There's so many online communities too. You could just talk mm-hmm. to somebody and yeah. All right, favorite play indicator. Oh, to play, like, how do we play? We play? Yeah, play. Gosh. Besides being in your backyard, digging up carrots and stuff, you know. Well, my daughter dances, and I will say that I love the Decatur Park District dance program and the Richland Community College dance program. So yeah. I love going to their productions. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't been to a Millican theater production, yes, yes, you have to I come have. because yes, it's Broadway great. level. Um, and so yeah. sometimes I take that for granted because I'm at literally all of them to support right. my students. But um, I think that is a huge part of the play component here. Yeah. Um, a play on play, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, but so hopefully after COVID, we can get back to all of that in-person yes. um, performances. But I love all those performance opportunities. The Civic Center, the Kirkland yeah. Fine Arts Center, you know, even going down a little bit south to the Little Theater on the Square in Sullivan. Yeah. I think there are a lot of opportunities for the fine arts. And I'm a fine arts junkie, so I tend to kind of gravitate towards yeah. those things. I know that people love the Devon Amphitheater. I'm not really a concert person, necessarily. Oh, it's one of my favorite places. Um, but I know that people love it. So I was I would grieving say the loss. Awesome of it yes I know but just the lake itself like oh yeah going around the lake all the parks I love Fairview I'm in it in it every day walking after work so yeah. um, all those recreational activities for me is the best play, play. I always mm-hmm. say too going back to the Millican performances mm-hmm. and stuff we get to see them before they are right like we have Sierra Bogus who is a huge I mean we you saw them when we saw them when right yeah. and I will even say that about like a random karaoke night at you know LSB. I'm like, you will get to hear voices that you just know are going to. And also, where change. else are you going to sit in a baseball and a softball stadium like the ones here that were just built in? Milwaukee? Yeah. So if you're a sports fan, I yeah. Mean, again, when we get back to you know doing that practice, doing Matt those... was just saying the Cater Commodores are playing. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's little mm-hmm. uh, minor, minor, mm-hmm. minor league. Yep. Playing at the new baseball field. He wants to go yeah. over there and see it. It's great opportunity. And I love how close everything is. I mean, I live four blocks from here, four blocks from work. And yeah. I can walk to work. You know, I can get back and forth quickly. And so I feel like we have just this wonderful space to be able to play. The West End's the best end. It is the best end. That's what I like to say. Um, need a t-shirt for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything about Cater that you that we missed or that you love that we didn't share? I 
I would love to challenge all of our listeners today to take this opportunity to think about what they love about Decatur and to really um, spread that positivity and that pride in our community. Um, Because I don't think we talk about it enough, honestly. This is a great opportunity. There are other things other individuals have done, but there's so many great things about Decatur. There is. There is. Um, So listeners, think about it and share it. Right. On yeah. Your social media feeds when you're in conversations with new transplants, you know, don't right. get stuck in that. Oh, well, we're not this metro area. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. We don't have this. Right. We don't have. But we do have. You know, what's funny is back in like 2002, when I was kind of itching about living here and yeah. moving on, I said, if we ever get a Starbucks, a Target or Olive Garden, I'm staying. <laughs> and, and then behold, there you go. Boom. An Olive Garden you put it. You Starbucks. wished it or dreamed it, whatever. <laughs> Chipotle, which isn't my thing, but I guess a lot of people oh, say. Yeah, right. Um, but I think it's just I mean, more to come for Decatur. I think Decatur is it going is. to grow and grow and get better and better and stronger and stronger. And we have so many great leaders in our community and yeah. young people that want to make a difference. Um, and Decatur's University right here in Richland Community College. And we haven't yeah. talked much about the school district, but I'm a huge fan of the school district, an amazing school district. Yes. Um, I don't think they get enough credit for all the good things that they do. Um, and in the next couple of years, we'll have these beautiful new buildings that our students will be privileged to be in. Yes. And I was going to wrap it up, too. but I want to segue to mm-hmm. that. What do you think... What do you think keeps people from doing, saying the positive? I think, you know, I started this podcast to get people mm-hmm. thinking about that more and to really have a space to share mm-hmm. what they love about it because I think we get in a rut of I think we do as humans I don't mm-hmm. think it's just to cater I think as humans we're kind of <clears throat> cynical by nature right I think that keeping up with the Joneses is super real yeah and so I fight that every day in my own family and with my friends you know why are you wanting that like why yeah. is that better tell me why you think that's better because really what you have may actually be better but you're just feeding into you the think societal, that you need societal that, yeah. norming and these expectations that you know don't fit you yeah. what you want. Um, so I do think that's why people get stuck in that rut is they, they see other things and they think that's utopia. The grass is greener. The grass is greener yeah. and it's not. Right. Um, I mean, think yeah. about living in a 600 foot square square foot apartment in New York City nope. right now. No, thank you. During quarantine. No, thank but we you. We have this opportunity to have all this space and all this yes. interaction. I'll take Rock um, Springs yeah. any day where I can so go. So it's about and... perspective. And I think as we age, we get more perspective. That's yeah. one truth in life is that the younger we are, the less perspective we probably have. And then it right. grows on us. Um, and that's why you see so many of our older community members, I think, coming out and saying these positive things and being involved. Right. Because they've had that perspective And really investing, time. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think it's human nature in one way. And then it's also just, yeah. you know, society feeds us. It curates for us what's on our feed and tells us what we should think and yep. what we should True. have and what we should buy. And I think it's all time for us to kind of unplug from that prescription and decide what's really right for us. I also challenge people to think about when you see a negative, is that really just a cater? I mean, I always say that's everywhere. It's not unique to us. And so I think like we have to remember that. Like every mall is probably not good right now. Like there's yes. so much about Hickory Point Mall. Like right. Who goes to a mall anymore yeah, anyways, no. right? So the malls are all dying across the, right. the country yeah. and the world. Yeah. Um, so that's not, as you said, unique to Decatur. And I think yeah. many of the things that we would see as negatives maybe are just issues in this country. Right. That we're wrestling with. And yeah. It's on a microcosmic level, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great perspective. Thank you for sharing your story today. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kathy. Yeah. Too. All right. We'll see you again on another episode. Sounds good.